Hey guys, Jason here. I'm your host, Whatsoever is True. Let's dive in. I like to waste your time. And we are talking about when believers sin. Right, so the, the text today is from Genesis 34, verses 25 through 31. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, uh, it starts with, on the third day they were sore. Who's they? That's, it. That's the uh, unbelieving camp that Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords to... to when they were reeling from the impact of the circumcision. So what happened, of course, is Donna had been raped, her sister, and uh, then, the, then Shechem's family said, well, you know, Shechem loves her and he wants to marry her. Why don't we just all marry in and uh, we're all going to increase in wealth and uh, then we can intermarry. You've got a bunch of hot women on your side. we got some good-looking women on our side. You know, it's the usual spiel of <clears throat> without principles of the Lord leading away, pragmatism is the key. And so, so Jacob had agreed to this deal. Uh, the sons, the sons did as well. But then they, then they did this. They said, "Well, hey, let's get you guys circumcised." And they came in and slaughtered everybody. The men, the place was left defenseless because they were all uh, dealing with the impact of that. So they killed uh, this Hamor and the son of Sh his son Shechem, and uh, and then they took it. Pretty much, they took Dinah away from the house, and they and they killed the rest of everybody. And then the, the rest of the family plundered the city because they were, you know, they defiled their sister. And um, they took the flocks or herds or donkeys and whatever else in the city in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. So then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, he's all upset, you brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. Now they gather themselves against me and attack me. I'm going to be destroyed. But both I and my household, right? So, of course, they, his son said back to him, uh, should, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? So that's it. So um, to, today's subject about when you see sinners sin in other believers or, you know, maybe in yourself, in your own family, what do we do? What do we do? What does the Bible say about this? So let's, let's get this straight out. This is sad reality. The believers oftentimes are less moral than atheists. You might hear that. You may have heard that, heard that on some online debates. It's true. It's a dirty little secret, right? <clears throat> Nobody wants to talk about it. In, in the church, we should. Simeon and Levi committed mass murder to avenge their sister because there was no thought of the Lord and his will anywhere in this whole awful event. How often does that happen to us? Right? How often does something come, to, come up, some irritation, some challenge, some frustration, maybe a tragedy, and we immediately set up our own defenses rather than pray and seek the will of the Lord. You know, somebody, just, uh, somebody close to me just had a, a, a tough family event come up and they said to me, you know what, I didn't pray at all. I went into lockdown mode and became numb. I, I learned to deal with stuff like that when I was a kid. And so they were kind of ashamed of themselves. So that's, that's great, go to the Lord now, repent of that. That's, that's, that's fantastic, You've, we're learning something that way. I think part of the issue is when we start thinking like we're, we're experts in the faith, right? And we stop looking at ourselves as, as white belts, if you will, and uh, it be, we become unteachable. So there simply can't be conflict if all parties seek and follow the Lord. Because the will of God is perfect, always, is perfect peace. So let's get that straight out of the way. Conflict and strife exist on earth because mankind insists on getting his own way. In, in matters great and small. Right, so how terrible a thing is it that Christians are so often novices and babies, babies, in the skill of peace. How dreadful 
that Paul had to admonish the Corinthian church for dragging each other to court over every little thing. That's 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 8. It's the same now. I mean, the church, sadly, isn't, isn't famous for the wisdom and love of its members. On the contrary, the world knows well of our childish disputes, our emotionalism over reason. Philippians 4, verse 5, our lack of theological depth. That's Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. Whereas Solomon was sought out to settle disputes, people coming from all over the world, right? Because of his gift of wisdom, church members today, bereft of godly knowledge, gossip, slander, and we malign and sue at the best of them, right? So people are going to go to counselors. They're not going to go talk to Christians. They're going to go to counselors because they don't see wisdom in us. That's how bad we are. Why? Well, bad theology and bad application. We're not living it out. What we think about God is going to determine how we live for Him. And what we think about Him can only be rightly informed through the study of Scripture. So there's no crisis in this land greater than this crisis. Christians rightly deplore the rising left, the LGBTQ movement, the normalization of sin in the culture, and all that stuff. And, and you're right. Gr granted, that's all true. But these are symptoms of the main disease, which is the faithfulness of the the faithlessness of the church that's the main disease so did jacob bring his family to the lord during this crisis no okay he didn't there's no evidence that he sought to inquire of the lord during this crisis do we belong to a church i'm i'm, I'm asking you that i'm i'm asking myself that is there somebody in a spiritual authority that you would present your problems to and have them analyze those things according to the principles of Scripture. Will, if you, if the fact that we don't have that in our lives, that we make our decisions willy-nilly, we don't go before the, the Bible itself, we do not have a body of believers that are trained up and wise people in the Lord that are living according to the principles of 1 Timothy, the read chapter 3, those elders and deacons <clears throat> that are leaders in the Lord with those qualities, right? That's the key. If we don't have that, that's a problem. Do we submit to the will of the Lord and follow the precepts of his life-giving principles and his life-giving word? Do we follow them? Jacob left his sons, his children of the world. He let them to seek the things of the world, power, money, security, and circumstances, ego, and status, because he didn't lead them in the Lord. We, like Simeon and Levi, are stubborn and prideful. We're convinced that power is in the world and in our circumstances rather than obeying the Lord. The hardest thing to do is hear the word no. Hardest thing to do in the world is to hear the word no. Not yet. You're going to have to wait. We start grumbling and complaining right away. And uh, that's a pattern. Very big pattern of life right there where these guys don't get what they want and they settle it with violence because they had the power to do it. So look at it this way. If there's a difference in a dude who goes to the gym for the first time trying to work off the sloth that settled in over the years and a seasoned athlete. They're both there, but there's massive differences in performance capacity. It's the same thing in, in Christ. And we're admonished for that, that most of us in Christ have been going to church for years, or maybe we bounce around in churches. We don't commit to a church. We're, we're not under discipline. That's the big key. Are we under discipline? Are we growing in the Lord? Are we better systematic theologians than we were last year or five years ago? Is there better, is there growth in more practical holiness? Are we handling stress and worry and anxiety better now than we were five years ago? And if we're not, if we're not, we should be taking this seriously. This is a big warning sign. Remember, 
I'm not saying you're working your way into salvation. The thief in the cross next to Christ knew nothing of the mysteries of the faith. I mean, or so we figure. And yet, by simple dependence on Christ, he was with the Lord that very day in heaven. The story of the prodigal son should teach us his lesson. Both the wayward and the steadfast are the Lord's insofar that he's called them both. It's the Lord's will that saves, not works. That's still, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we should be growing in Christ's likeness. We shouldn't be babies. We shouldn't be struggling to bench press the bar. We should be trying to get strong so that we have the ability, not just the obligation, to bear with the weak. Romans 15 says that those of us who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. Well, are we always the weak? Are we always the one with the problem? Are we always the one demanding our own way? That's not what Christ called us for. He called us to serve, not to be served. But, you know, the spiritually weak, those flabby souls who are saved by grace, but yet live in the poverty of their own mind, following the old principles, refusing to be corrected, are too often dominated by the old nature. Being ignorant of Scripture, or it's just refusing to follow it, not being in submission to His Word, but to our passions, we move into incessant conflicts because the way of peace we have not known. That's Romans 3, verse 17. Barnhouse says this of Lot, by the way. He said, The Lord had commanded that he go to the hills for safety, right? After Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot still lingers in the plain. It's hard to understand why the believer wants his own way so much until we study the Word of God and learn what the old nature really is. There's nothing that a man will not do to get his own way, Barnhouse writes. Lot had left Sodom and its grosser sins and was advancing to the place of refuge. Yet his heart was attached to the things which he had renounced. Many Christians wish to substitute the word, the world of Zoar, for the world of Sodom. They will ask for anything rather than have the separation of the lonely mountain. End quote. Like Lot, like Jacob's sons, plus you Christians can't bear to hear the word no. They must get their own way. And when their pride is wounded, they will substitute the Lord's technique with their own. Dinah's brothers exacted murder, mass murder, and revenge against people, innocent people, that didn't rape Dinah under the pretense that it was for Dinah. It wasn't. It was for their pride. It had nothing to do with the Lord and His honor. It had nothing to do with Dinah. It had everything to do with their pride. What's the, what's the technique of the flesh? It's the way of, of war if power is on our side. If not, it's the way of lawsuits or politics. If not, then it's simply murder and slavery by other means, which is what? Slander and gossip. Run your mouth. That's how you hurt people. Self-righteousness is a sword at the throat of those who will not let us have our way. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Romans 3, 15. What is the way of the Spirit? Hey, well, you know it. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And this is what we need to remember. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12, verses 16 through 21. God's people must beware lest in spiritual ignorance and fleshly pride we cave in and are deceived. In any dispute, in any conflict, in every conflict, we must develop the spiritual muscle so that we can deadlift more than a bar. That we're, no matter how sure we are that we're right, 
we must check over against the passages of Scripture that clearly detail how we're to respond. And even if we've been wronged, as Donna Shirley was there, our responsibility is still to honor Christ by following his principles rather than our own, because man's principles are always fleshly and self-centered and will not bring justice. David had this problem with Laban. Oh, I'm not Laban, that was Jacob and Laban, sorry. <laughs> with Abigail stopped him from going and committing murder. Okay, her husband, Abigail's husband was a knucklehead. Um, the Lord took that into his own hands. Don't take the Lord's justice into your own hands. Okay, if it's not clear, if your brother sins against you, follow the Lord's command. Go to him. If you can't, go to him with elders and witnesses. Do not go to manipulation, slander, gossip. Don't do those things. That's the lesson from this passage of Scripture. Christians sin. That's absolutely going to happen. Christians let each other down. That's absolutely going to happen. But we must respond with spiritual muscle in the faith. Jacob was clearly a believer. I mean, come on. His sin was covered by the blood of Christ through faith, just like Abraham's was. We find out in Romans 4. Not by works. He was a covenant man. And nevertheless, he committed many sins in his life. Right? Abraham did. Isaac did. They all committed, uh, um, uh, you're going through David did. Come on. Let me go all the way through. So now we see the atrocious cost to the family that seeks to solve a crisis according to the principles of the flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death. That's Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. The way of peace is Christ, which means that we obey him through faith, especially in areas of conflict. A flabby faith, unnourished by the word and prayer, will show absolutely when we don't get our way. Like a man on the couch trying to go for a run, is a fleshly Christian when they're frustrated by life? No. The fleshly mind won't be able to run the course of love. It was going to ignore the principles of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, the great love chapter. Love isn't a fault finder. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Bitterness is going to come from the soul that's weak in the faith. In the flesh, we are Cain. In the flesh, we're Simeon and Levi. In the flesh, yes, Christians will attempt to ameliorate a challenge in life on our own power, for our own glory, to our own comfort, and for our pride. The mass murder of the men of Shechem had nothing to do with the brother's love for their sister. And oftentimes when we have a family member or somebody that we love that's offended, we react with ungodly rage and vengeance. How many innocent men were put to the sword because of pride? How many sins do we commit against others because of our own stubbornness? When people say Christianity caused wars and so forth, no, sin causes wars. Christianity cannot. What's happening is you have Christians who are not following Christ. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm saying I called them Christians who then don't follow Christ. We're seeing this evidence here. So a lesson sobering, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, we, we may not pick up the sword against our neighbor, Christian or atheist. We may not take it up, except in self-defense. But the manner in which we respond to crisis and challenge displays our fitness in the faith. Great damage is done when we ignore the clear teachings of Scripture and refuse to see our neighbors in Christ. We refuse to seek His glory and we demand to get our own way. <clears throat> in the flesh, we'll ignore Matthew 5, 9. We'll be troublemakers instead of peacemakers. We'll reject the biblical process of settling disputes with believers given to us by the Lord Himself in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. And with um, unbelievers will seek revenge rather than suffer wrong in Christ. So that, you know, suffering wrong so that unbelievers might 
come to him and might praise him and go, wow, amazing how way they responded. Like Simeon and Levi, we'll seek vengeance on our own terms and then we'll say it was for somebody else. It's exactly what they did. The thing is, Jacob is God's covenant man just as we are now his covenant people. The sins manifested here will be dealt with in the ensuing chapters of Joseph's life. They're going to come back. There's going to be those, those sins are going to be dealt with because God will not let sin go in the lives, lives of his people. He won't let them go in our lives either. So we must repent. We've got to learn and move forward. They're all going to learn that the flesh can't solve the problems that are brought by sin. Only grace and faith can. They're going to learn to submit to the Lord in all things, and so must we. They will learn humility and the true path of peace. They will learn to wait on the Lord. Okay? And they will learn how utterly sinful they are and how incredibly righteous and gracious the Lord is and how wise He is. We pray that the same could be said for us. So, the sins of believers, we shouldn't be surprised by them. Okay? We shouldn't be shocked by them. We can be hurt by them, indeed. But we have to respond in Christ. And we must also try to, when we're more concerned about how our sin is impacting other people rather than the other way around, then we're making progress. Okay? But we can, we can and must seek peace with each other and with the world. And we can only do that if we follow the Lord's pattern. Go back up, read, go back through, read what the Bible says about unbelievers and sins. And we cannot seek vengeance. We must bless those who persecute us. We must, Romans 12, overcome evil with good. Don't, become, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, not the sword, but good. Okay? We can, of course, use self-defense. Of course, I can call 911. But I'm not seeking vengeance. I'm only seeking justice. And if, if that's not the case, then gladly suffer wrong so that Christ is praised rather than trying to fix things yourself. That is the biblical pattern. That is why this was a horrible atrocity committed by Simeon and Levi. And that is why we shouldn't be shocked when somebody says, oh, you know, Christ, Christians cause more. Yeah, yeah, by not following Christ. Christ went to the cross. Christ got punched in the face when he's blindfolded by some guy that said, hey, prophesy who hit you. He endured the, the, the whipping. He endured that cat of nine tails. He endured the recriminations, the lies. He endured all of that so that you would personally be saved from your sin because you did that to him. I did that to him. How then will we live? Okay? It's those of us who are not right with God, resting in grace, constantly aware of our need of grace, constantly aware of the love God has toward us in Christ, that we have an advocate with the Father. Those of us who reject those truths or don't spend time in those truths are going to hurt other people. And when people hurt us, we will overreact. We will not be, we'll not be patient. We will not be kind. We will be fault finders. We will be troublemakers. And we will seek vengeance, just like Joseph's brothers. All right, so I hope this was helpful. And I hope that we all turn to Christ and, and we break that cycle. That's the, way, the only way to break that cycle is through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next time.